and, and looking at the backstory to the Christmas story, which is what we're celebrating this time of year. We've looked into, got a, uh, an opportunity to look into the heart of God, and, and that's part of what that video is. And what we've learned as we've walked through this, and especially as we've spent the last few weeks looking at decisions that Jesus, God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit made on our behalf. Uh, and as Paul has walked through them, because we've been looking at a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he said that as you look at these things and you see Jesus' attitude that led him to step into our world, then that's supposed to be our attitude. And so we've looked at it from the vantage point, both of the heart of God for us, but then also the heart that we're supposed to have towards each other, towards the world around us. Uh, this week, uh, the Christian body the, in the world, we lost, we lost uh, uh, one of our heroes. In fact, it's interesting, the, the men uh, uh, recently just did a study. In fact, you heard me mention the name R.C. Sproul on a number of occasions. R.C. Sproul went to heaven this week, and uh, we just uh, finished a study that uh, was a, a teaching video series of his called The Holiness of God. And I mentioned that as we walked through the message series in awe of the awesome. I mentioned that one of the books that I was recommending you read was a book he wrote called The Holiness of God. And it's interesting because, you know, as, as we've been watching, it's been looking at the decision God the Son made to step into our root world. I thought this quote was... Uh, really uh, poignant as far as, and this is from our Sproul, and getting a little bit of a perspective of what him stepping into our world meant for us. He said, God just doesn't throw a life preserver to a drowning person. He goes to the bottom of the sea and pulls a corpse from the bottom of the sea and takes him up on the bank, breathes into him the breath of life, and makes him alive. And that's really the Christmas message. And that's the reason, that is the reason that God the Son said, I'm willing to step into that world uh, f- to rescue. So we want to talk more about that this morning. And uh, before we do, let's have a word of prayer. And then I want to read you another portion of Scripture. Father, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for stepping into our world. We're getting a little perspective of what that means. Certainly we can't comprehend it all, but, but we've, got, we've gained some insight through this passage in Philippians. And so help us continue as we look at it this morning. And Lord, as, as always, my prayer is we want to gain knowledge, understanding, but we also want to know each of us individually, what is the God that I need to apply to my life and my relationship with you from what we're looking at this morning. So that's, that's my hope as we, pray, as we work this together. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Listen to a passage of scripture. Uh, some of you are very familiar with this. I'm going to read it, a, a modern translation. You, you'll hear things that are familiar, but uh, sometimes it's good to hear it with different words. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on, passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. 
the fact is, it was our pains, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who have wandered off and got lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him. On him. He was beaten. He was tortured. But he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried and he was let off. Did anyone really know what was happening? He died without thought for his own welfare, beaten, bloody for the sins of people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with the rich. And even though he had never hurt a soul, Or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along. To crush him with our pain. The plan was that he'd give himself as an offering for sin. So that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. Those words were written over 600 years before that baby was born. You ever wondered what went through the mind of Jesus? Because we've talked about, as we walk through this passage, that part of his decision to step into our planet was that staying, remaining God, he would lay aside the attributes, the powers, the prestige, the glory of heaven, the throne. He'd lay all that aside to step into our world, including the knowing everything. And and so have you ever wondered what it was like when Jesus was finally old enough to go to the synagogue and the very first time he heard that passage in Isaiah 53 read, and suddenly it dawned on him, That's talking about me and how I'm going to die. You know, there's lots of evidence of of why and how Jesus walked during this planet time and planet Earth that that he did lay aside his powers, that he that he trusted in the Father to lead him like we have to, that he depended on the Holy Spirit to give him wisdom, uh, that when the miracles he did, he used God the Father did through him because he had laid aside his own powers. Uh, there's passages like this one where, where the individuals had come to him and, and the disciples were finally starting to realize, okay, he's not a man, he's God, but he is a man. And, and they started to understand that he was the king that they'd been waiting for and the king was supposed to come and set up a kingdom. Now, they had their own definition of what that was supposed to look like at that time and, and they were going to be disappointed because Jesus had come to suffer as a suffering king. He would later come back as a ruling king. So they came to him one time and they said, so when is it that you're going to set up your kingdom? Tell us the time. And, and Jesus' response, which would not have been his response prior to coming to earth, was this. 
About that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. See, he had given up that knowledge for a period of time. He was dependent on the Father. He only knew what the Father informed him of in the Holy Spirit. And at another time, you remember in the garden scene, we'll talk more about that a little later, but it was just hours before he was going to be hung on that cross. And, and he had gone into the garden with his disciples and, and, uh, there came this point where the Pharisees and the Sadducees and religious leaders and, and armed guards that they brought with them, they showed up because they were going to arrest Jesus. And, and typical of Peter, he thought, well, it's my job to protect Jesus. And so he pulls out this sword he has. And you remember, he wasn't very, very practiced with it. And so he started swinging it wildly. And all he managed to do was cut off the ear of, of one of the soldiers, and which Jesus healed. And, and then Jesus gave him some, in, some an interesting said, he, statement. He says, basically, Peter, you don't understand. I'm doing this because I want to do this. In fact, don't you think that, do not, do you think about, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. He's saying, you don't need to protect me. All I got to do is ask the Father and he'll send the angels to protect me, but that's not the point. But here's interesting. Again, he's any other time as, as God, when he was in heaven, before he laid aside these attributes, he would have called his own legion of angels. But he'd placed himself in a position, a position of weakness, of struggle. In fact, we talked about this as we walked into it last week. But what would you think? How do you think it impacted Jesus when he was finally old enough to hear the scriptures read at the synagogue and Isaiah 53 was opened up and he realized that they're talking about my death and are using terms like beat, torture, slaughter, crushed. And then as Isaiah goes on to describe this, remember, this is prophecy, 600 years. In fact, the cross hadn't even been come onto the scene yet when Isaiah first wrote about this. But it began to dawn on him that Isaiah is talking about the crucifixion, which I'm sure he had seen at times. Or maybe if he hadn't, at least he'd heard about it. And, and he knew it was a horrendous way to die. And it was all coming together as he recognized that is my future. I am a dead man walking, and someday I'll hang on that cross. And if you think it didn't impact him, and if you think that his humanity, he was God and man, didn't cry out at the perspective of what was going to happen to him, remember this verse? He was in the garden. It was a few hours before they would arrest him. He was praying, talking to his father. And remember, from all of the humanity that was part of who he was, he cries out to the father, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. If there's any other way, if we can accomplish the purpose without going through this, then do it another way. But then he goes on, not my will, but yours. So we've been talking through this passage of scripture in Philippians, 
And I'd like you to go there if you haven't already. Philippians chapter 2, go on your devices or your Bibles, or you can listen. I'm going to read. Actually, I'm going to start with verse 5, not with verse 1, because this is what we've been looking at. Remember, this is a description of what the God had made, the decision they made. As Jesus said, the Son of God said, I am willing to step down into earth and take on humanity for the purpose of bringing forgiveness to the world. But here's what was involved in that decision. Follow as I read, starting with verse 5. Reminder, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. It's not saying he wasn't equal with God. It's saying he wasn't afraid to set aside the benefits of the power and position for a period of time. He made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. And, and we talked about the fact last week that really we're walk, working our way down a ladder into a, to a pit. And each rung down this ladder gets a little worse, and that might be a little offensive when you realize that we've gotten down to this spot as he's worked his way down to the terrible th- decisions, the, the pain, the sacrifice he's going to make on our behalf, and, and he's going he's to give up the position, the attributes, and the benefits of being God. He's going to lay those aside for a period of time, and in comparison, he's going to become nothing. In fact, he's going to become a servant. He's going to come to serve, and then he keeps saying, and, and, and worse than that, He's going to become a human. And we're going, well, wait a minute. I'm one of them. But remember, we talked last week about what, what he's talking about here is not humanity as he created, created in the garden before sin entered the scene. He's talking about humanity now and all the destruction, all the pain, all the sorrow. And, and you know what that's like because you live in this world. And, and whether you realize it or not, you long for something better. That's why we chase dreams. That's why we often hear ourselves saying, if only. And we put something on the end and we think if, if that blank can be filled with what we have in mind, then finally I'll, I'll fill this void. But the reality is it'll never be filled because the creation of the world, the world has been struck by the impact of sin and we're all longing for something that only God can offer whether we realize it or not. And so when he stepped into humanity, he knew he was stepping into that. Even though he would never sin, he would take on himself our sins. And so we walked down through it, and then we got, now that we got down to verse 8 last week, and so we step into this next section where it says, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself. And that's almost kind of funny. It's like, okay, wait a minute. Isn't this all humbling? Yeah, it is. But I think Paul has something particular in mind here by throwing that phrase in. And we'll talk about the meaning of it. But let me, let me share a little bit of, of uh, a story in my life. Uh, my senior year of high school was a wonderful year. It was kind of like I, was, I had the golden touch. And it was really good and important that happened because my junior year was miserable. Halfway through my junior year, in fact, right after I received my class ring, my dad comes home one day and says, uh, we've been called to go to another ministry. We're going to move from California to Colorado. Now, that may sound really good to all of you, that you know, especially Barstow, California. I sound somebody we live in Barstow, uh, and we're going to the mountains of Colorado. But as a junior in high school that just got his class ring, 
That was not what I wanted to hear. And so that was a pretty miserable experience. But, but God knew all that. And as, as always is the case, God knew exactly what I needed. And so we get to Colorado and, and I get into my new high school. And man, my senior year was wonderful. I was in a jazz band. We won all kinds of awards. And, and in fact, we got asked to, to fly to Reno, Nevada and be a part of a, of a huge, uh, concert thing going on out there and ended up on TV. And, and that's not such a big deal today. Back when there was only three channels, that was a big deal. And, and so that, that was a wonderful experience. And, and I, was in a, I was in a school play musical that year. And I know you'll find this hard to believe, but my character's name was Slim. That's, <laughs> and I fit that. So it was a good thing. Uh, and then I was in, I was in a choir that uh, had, was in a lot of competitions. We won awards. And, and I was in this little group called Madricles that was asked to sing. You know, this time of year, all the, all the wealthy people in that particular area would have these huge Christmas parties. And we were the hot item. They would invite us in to sing. And, and uh, they had a, all, I tried out for all-state choir. It was, a, it was it, of course, every time one of these things happened, it became harder and harder for my head to make it out the door, you know. And then it came down to the end of the year, and I had a friend who worked in the school office, volunteered in there, and he pulled me aside one time and said, hey, Paul, I saw the list of the awards for the senior, and your name is on there for, and it was the top award of the school. It was, it was given out by the arts program, and it was a huge scholarship. And he says, your name's on there. And I was like, all right. So senior banquet came, and, and you know, we're all there, and the whole program goes on. You know, they always go longer than they should, but it goes on. And finally, get to the end of the program, which we is, was when they gave this big, the biggest scholarship, the biggest award. And I'm, and I'm sitting there, and, and the principal gets up, and he starts saying, now, the individual who's won this, and he starts reading through the list of accomplishments, and every one of them say, Paul Kennedy, Paul Kennedy, Paul Kennedy. In fact, I was so sure that I scooted my chair back to get ready because I was going to have to stand up. And, you know, uh, I wasn't going to do any of this false modesty stuff. I, you know, and So I scooted my chair back. And, and so when he got to the end of the list, and he said, and this person, he paused, you know, kind of like you do for dramatic effect. And I stood up in that pause. <laughs> Would Lynn Hazelrig please come to the front? I was humbled that night. Humiliated is a better example, and, and it's exactly what I needed. This eagle needed knocked down a number of notches, but that's not what's going on here. Jesus did need humbled. In fact, he'd already made so many decisions, humiliating decisions. We, and we were told, remember last week, as we, as we looked at where it says an appearance as, hu- as a human, that actually was talking about that he would... He would he would go through so many things as a human that there would be some that would simply say he couldn't possibly be the Messiah. How? No. The Messiah, the king, would never go through that or allow himself to be born there or whatever you want to go through. And there would be some who would simply say there is just no way I would ever believe that he's God's son. And notice in that passage, he wasn't humiliated. And it's interesting because that word means debased, demeaned, humiliated, disgraced. But it says there, he did this himself. He made the decision. And I think part of what is in mind there is that cross. Knowing that allowing himself to die in such a fashion would mark him in some folks' eyes. Some folks would say, 
Obviously, he is not the Messiah. He's a criminal. The cross was reserved for insurrectionists. It was reserved for murderers. It was reserved for the worst of the worst. And certainly God would never allow himself to be marred with with such a title. And so some would reject him outright just because of that. He must just be this delusional man. He chose to go through that on our behalf. That's what we've discovered. Because he loves us. Because he knows that someone had to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiveness and forgiven. So the relationship could be restored. And that's why he made those decisions and went through it. And then Paul goes on and says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. Take this cup from me. Yet not my will be done, but yours. And remember, as Paul has tried to get us perspective of the heart of God for us, that he was willing to do all of that Because he loves you and he loves me. And his desire of his heart is that we spend forever with him. He wants us to be his family, adopt us into his family. But for that to happen, our sins had to be forgiven. And so he offers that gift, paid for out of tremendous cost, and yet given, offered to us free to every person so we can have a restored relationship but remember, Paul said that our attitude is supposed to be like Christ. So that begs this question because that's part of this whole discussion is, am I like Christ? So I've got to ask you this morning and ask me this morning, what's your cup? What is that thing in your life right now that you're saying, it wasn't supposed to be this way? This shouldn't happen. I shouldn't be walking through this. This shouldn't be my experience. This is not what I expected. What's your cup? Because Paul is saying we need to be like Christ. Whose attitude when it came to his relationship with the Father was, Not my will, but yours. Our attitude is supposed to be like Jesus. You know, God kings, they're not supposed to be born in mangers. Dirty, smelly mangers. And that was just the beginning. In fact, that wasn't the beginning. All those things we talked about working up to this happened prior in the decision that he made for us for our behalf. So what is it that you're saying today this shouldn't be shouldn't be happening? It shouldn't be true. This I shouldn't be here. 
I shouldn't be going through this because here's the decision that this passage calls us to make. If we're going to be like Christ and trust the Father, then we've got to decide it's either going to be not my will, but yours be done, or it's going to be, nope, my will. You know, it's really interesting. From this point on, here's where the passage goes. Therefore God God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you know, that's his story for you too. (laughs) I don't know what you're walking through. But here's what I want you to know. God's got in mind to glorify you. His plan is whatever it is, whatever your cup is right now, he knows what's on the other end. And, and if you can respond and have the same attitude as Jesus, you're going to get to experience the full benefit of trusting the Father. But you've got to decide. And I've got to decide. And that's what the baby came for, was to put us in a position of decision. Some of you have to decide whether or not to ever accept that gift that God's offering on your behalf. He's telling you right now, I am offering you as a gift. You don't have to do anything except accept the gift. I'm offering you forgiveness, adoption into my family, and eternity with me. And not only that, I promise you, I will be with you every step of the way from this moment on. That's a gift that he's offering you, and you've got to decide. Do I accept that or is my answer to God, no thanks? Some of us already accepted that gift, but we're still having to make a decision today and tomorrow and maybe the next day, whose will are we going to go after? Your decision, my decision. Let's pray. Father, thanks. This this time of looking through this passage and, and being allowed to have some insight background into the heavens and the story behind the Christmas story for me alone has been really beneficial we wrestle with those decision points and Lord we do honestly we have to tell you that sometimes we struggle with your will but if we're going to be like our Lord at least the one we call him our Lord then we need to have his attitude which is not my will but yours be done and And your heart for us, as evidence in this passage, is only for our best. In fact, someday you're going to allow us to share in his glory. We look forward to that day, and we ask for your help as we walk through these days, that our heart will be, thy will be done. 